0: Paul Krugman the blind squirrel who finally is going to get his acorn? Will the SEC do the right thing and cause chaos? And are luxury watches a, a sign of things to come? We'll also go over Don's 13 cell rules. Folks, welcome to Your Money Radio. We've got Don in studio and, well, not in studio. Don's in Florida. And we have a special guest, Alex Katutis, He's out in Arizona. And unfortunately, we have to do this all remotely because our producer, Zach, has COVID. So before we start, Zach, how are you feeling? Feeling okay. <laughs> fever finally broke last night, uh, so feeling better. But man, this stuff's no fun. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad you didn't come in the office. We, we appreciate that. And so we're not, st- yeah. I'm actually in my own office. I'm not in the studio out in front. We're doing this from my office and uh, we're doing everything remotely. Uh, And we're going to get into all these topics. First, I got to give the the normal disclaimer. Uh, Your Money Radio podcast covers general topics and investment ideas. It's not for research. I mean, it's for educational and entertainment purposes only and research. It's not meant to be individual investment advice. If you want individual investment advice, contact your advisor or reach out to us directly for specific advice. All right. Now that we got the house cleaning out of the way, we want to talk about what the Fed is doing after their minutes release on Wednesday, because it's going to be very important going forward. And even if you're a lot now, we're more tactical, and we're quick to action and price is true. So we will make adjustments as necessary. But for a longer term person, they really need to pay attention. Because if if the Fed, the Fed has two courses, you know, it almost Uh, courses of action, you know, and it's a Hobson's choice. I've been saying that for years now, they're going to box themselves into a corner and not be able to get it. But it reminds me of uh, Oh, um, Frost, uh, the the, you know, the road less traveled, you know, the fork in the road, which one am I going to take? Well, which one is the Fed going to take? Are they going to take the one less traveled and keep hiking rates to try to try to kill inflation? Or are they going to ease off the brakes and 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 relax a little bit because people are starting to feel a little bit of pain. So Don sent me an article. And it's called the trolley car problem part one, the Fed's predicament. And it's actually a great article, because it talks about these two choices. It talks about what what the Fed uh, can do. But but first, let's talk about Paul Krugman. You know, he's this Nobel laureate economist who's been wrong at every turn. So why they gave him the Nobel Prize is beyond me. Um, he's a Keynesian economist. I happen to be an Austrian economist. I, I disagree with their premise. but But Krugman said early on, and he's been saying for a decade that massive money printing was not a problem. It would not cause inflation. Don't worry about it. And that also the massive printing would stimulate and cause huge growth. And then when it didn't, he said, we did we just didn't do it big enough. We should have brought out a bazooka. We should have, should, it should have been more printing, should have been bigger. And, And the problem is it didn't cause massive growth. Now, here's what he's saying now. And this is why I'm saying he could be right. He is saying that runaway inflation fears are overblown and that he dismisses the, uh risk of stagflation. All right, well, folks, he got half an acorn, we already have stagflation right now. So he was wrong on that account. But the reason we're talking today is, is inflation, here's the crux of this whole debate that we're going to have with Alex, Don and myself, is inflation peaking? And do they are they starting to get it under control? Or will there be runaway inflation? Will it get worse? Because those two those two avenues you want to have distinctly different asset classes and different things because if the fed continues to raise rates you're going to that's going to put downward pressure on stocks downward pressure on real estate and i've been saying for months real estate's the next shoe to drop after after um um, stocks and then commodities are going to come under pressure guess what that's happening now Commodity oil's under a hundred. A lot of these commodities are now down to the their the pre mediocre why media medi mediocre. How do you say that, Don? Me, meteor. I have, me, I don't, meteor, don't know what
1: language you talk, Dan. So I am not me, sure me, I can.
0: Meteoric rise. <laughs> so that. commodities had this mediocre rise, and now they're coming down. <laughs> okay. there it is. Anyway, Zach, how about if you know, we just how about if we just
1: go to the chart and show the, the lovely graph from Lily Lebowitz on the Fed's that's, trolley
0: that's car great problem? Uh, yeah, there it is. There you that's go. Looking, there you that's go. going on the thumbnail. I love that. That's great. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, on this article, it's, it's called the car, trolley car problem because it, it's, it's making it very simple for people that it's this Hobson's choice. You either got high inflation by not continuing to raise rates and actually taking your foot off the brake or you keep. Pressing down on the brakes and you cause a recession. By the way, folks. So, this
1: is, yeah, and this is, and you'll notice that there's uh, five people without uh, a nose or a mouth for whatever reason on the high inflation part of the track, implying that uh, if we allow inflation to continue, more people are going to be impacted. If you go with the recession and stocks. Uh, there's only two people on there, I guess, implying that not as many people will get hurt because uh, fewer people own stocks than certainly would be impacted by the high cost of groceries and uh, or gas. Uh so you see that you
0: you only run over forty percent of the population, huh? You don't uh,
1: I don't run guess, over yeah. everybody?
0: <laughs> well, So, so the analogy in this article, and and it's a good article, it's out by Zero Hedge, some of their stuff's kind of um, bombastic, but this article is actually very good. And it talks about the rubber band theory. And we talked about that on the show a couple weeks ago, that with the rubber band theory, it, it, you know, entered, it gets stretched and stretch and stretch, and then you have a snapback. And quite frankly, this high inflation has actually caused, you know, different pockets of almost a deflation starting, especially in luxury goods. So food and gas is still very high. So disposable income has gone down, right? I mean, you've got to spend so much money on gas and, and energy and food that you don't have extra money to uh, go to the movie theater extra or buy this nice thing or you know steak or what have you. And so, disposable income items, not staples but disposable income items are actually going down and you're seeing an inventory build up at these stores and they're actually having to start putting things on sale now here's the question what about what about watches
1: Dan is this the time to talk about watches or or not
0: oh well yeah no so Alex brought up this great point he was talking about so and here's a good point so for inflation affects the middle class and the lower class it doesn't affect as well as much it doesn't affect the high net worth people people that have a lot of money they can absorb the cost the extra cost of food the extra cost of gas and so it doesn't affect them but with the stocks going down and with other things under pressure they're looking for other items to to buy and purchase and quite frankly luxury items that are easy to transport and small like di- the price of diamonds Raw Diamonds has gone way up. The price of luxury watches has gone way up. And if you look at that, that green line on the top, those are the watches. And what is that, a year over year? No, that's not even a year. It's so a, that's less than a well, year. Yeah, if
2: you go back, it's a full 12 months um, <clears throat> from that time because S&P is obviously down close to 20% year to date, but the, over the course of an entire year, that's why that's only down
0: 1%. But it is right. Right, and so watches are up 40%. It's one of the best performing uh, (laughs) asset classes. So if you got a big safe, you can start trading watches in your basement, I guess. Um, um, And that's the same thing uh, with, and part of that is also supply disruption. So to me, supply disruption is a supply demand issue. That's not truly inflation. Classical economics, inflation is only monetary, meaning it's only caused by money printing. It's not caused by supply and demand disruptions. And so like with, you, like with cars, used cars are the highest they've ever been because you can't. there's a shortage of new cars. Well, some of these watches and other luxury items, they've also come under pressure and there's, there's not as much supply in the, in the new watch pipeline or any product, it doesn't matter. And the uh, lines of these same products have actually held up very, very good. Now, here's the question. If we continue to open up post-COVID and people are able to go back to work and manufacturing pulls up, do these prices ease off? That's the big question. And that's the big question for you. If, if you're a, I cringe when I say this, pie chart investor where you're just gonna kind of buy and hold or you're gonna do it for the longer term, it's gonna be really important to monitor what the Fed's doing because if they continue Uh, to raise rates, you're going to want to be much more defensive and have less stock exposure and and probably certainly less real estate uh, exposure. If they ease off and also bonds will come under pressure, there's not going to be a whole lot of places to hide. So you got to just be defensive if if they ease off and they don't keep raising rates, that's gonna be bullish for the stock arena, but also for bonds. Bonds will start to rally, not because of the low interest payment you're getting, but because of bond prices. And so it really is important to to figure out what the Fed is doing. And this is gonna have long-term impacts. They have borrowed, so we we have the most debt that we've ever had, and we've had more debt and bond buying, QE, than we did in 2008 during the economic crisis. So remember, when they did all this stuff after the economic crisis, they took a lot of bonds on their balance sheet, the Fed, and they supposedly helped companies and let them unload their bad debt. Well, now these corporations, because of these astronomically low interest rates, they all borrowed to the hilt because it was almost free money. So now corporate balance sheets are also impacted they've got more debt than they've ever had. So if interest rates go up and continue to rise, guess what? You've got higher interest expense, higher cost, and now the earnings are gonna go down. So it's gonna put downward pressure on stocks and bonds, by the way, and commodities, real estate, everything, that's why everything is... So that's why it's such such an important thing to, to figure out if the Fed's gonna continue raising rates. Now, I've been on record for months, months and months now saying that they will raise a few times, two or three times in a row because they've already staked their ground and they don't want to make it look like they completely lost control, which they have. So they're going to raise rates probably one more time. But I've always said that I think that when people start hitting enough pain and people start getting upset and start screaming, they're going to ease off a little bit,
1: but- Well, Dan, Dan, we had a, uh, they've raised three times already and the odds are over 80% right now that they're gonna raise three quarters of a percent in two weeks when they meet again. So are you in the camp of saying that three quarter percent, which would be raised number four, would be the last one? Or do you think that they may pull back and only raise 50 basis points? Because we did have, prior to the open today, a strong jobs report, which made rates go higher implying that the Fed can't take their foot off the gas. They need to keep raising rates and that impacted the markets pre-market. The good news for bulls is that uh, we're, we're quite a bit off the lows pre-market. It seemed at this point to just be a shakeout. When we, we held yesterday's lows, we're doing this on a Friday. At uh, right now it's 11 a.m. Eastern on a Friday. We held Thursday's lows, which is good. And we're also held the 21 EMA on the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ 100, which is good. but. Uh, The fact that uh, the economy, at least from a jobs report perspective, seems strong implies that the Fed can't take their foot off the gas.
0: Oh I, well, I, no. I think there's another raise in order, but but you know, people are talking about you know, oh recession. We may cause a recession, folks. If you don't know it, we're technically in a recession now. So first quarter GDP, the final numbers came out, and it, they've revised it three times, and it was down negative one point six. Don, pull up that Atlanta Fed GDP now. So they are the clo- they have the best, they have the their finger on the pulse, and they're measuring GDP in real time. They're the most accurate their second quarter prediction for GDP is negative 2.1 at this current time. Now, if you look, that chart chart shows the range of the top 10 and the bottom 10 average forecast by economist. And look at GDP now, look how much lower it is. It's lower than all of the economists, every <coughs> one of them. So basically, and, and I'm with the Atlanta, I'm gonna go with the Atlanta GDP now because I think that's much more accurate so when that when the gdp print starts coming out uh for q2 uh, obviously they'll revise it a little bit that's going to give the uh, fed an excuse to ease off a little bit but don i will say this if they raise three quarters of a point it's going to slow the economy enough that they will be i think they will be done i don't think they're going to raise again or if they do it might be one quarter point i do think there's room for them, hang on, I do think there's room for them to say, you know what, Uh, we've been monitoring the data, things are starting, it's starting, it's working, it's starting because prices of commodities, prices are coming down, other prices are coming down. They'll say, we're going to raise a half a point. That way, they're still raising, and they're still raising more than a quarter point. But, but it's not as drastic. So I I don't, I think 80% probability is a little bit high for three quarters. Now, I, I certainly could be wrong, and that's why we measure what is happening while it's happening. You know the chart. You know you always say Don Price is truth, and the stock market's going to telegraph what's happening. Um, uh, but that's why you got to stay uh, diligent. Diligent <clears throat> is a better word. Well,
1: actually. Well, you're a you're a self-proclaimed damn genius, Stan, So we'll, am, we'll see how this plays out. But uh, we're all. I, I think we're about to see a big argument in the media and with the White House and with the Fed about the definition of a recession, because for a long time it was loosely defined as two consecutive quarters of uh, negative GDP. Uh, The first quarter has a gigantic asterisk on it because it was brought to negative only because of an inventory adjustment. Uh, I think if you see, uh, let's assume that this next quarter is going to show Uh, negative GDP, I think you're going to see a lot of arguments about whether or not you accept that first quarter or whether or not people are going to say, well, it's not truly two consecutive quarters because you're going to have the White House and the administration denying that we're in a recession because it doesn't look good, the term recession going into um, elections in the later part of the year. Uh, you're also gonna see their media supporters saying we're not in a recession because they'll parrot the uh, the line of the administration. And then you'll see other news outlets saying we're absolutely in a recession, pointing to uh, the negative wage growth of people and the and the high uh, gas prices and food prices. So there's about to be, you, you won't even have consensus anymore. You can, it, the, the country is so, uh, bifurcated in their opinion that you can't even agree on some basic facts anymore. And I don't, I don't know what the true definition of recession is. It's been said a recession is when uh, your neighbor loses their job, a depression is when you lose yours. But I don't know nice. where we're going with that. I don't know. It, it appears right now that only the higher end uh, jobs are being impacted. A lot of tech jobs are being impacted and they're cutting staff. Uh, Everywhere you look on the service industry, everybody is still hiring and there's not enough people to fill those jobs. So it's also going to be a bifurcated uh, job openings uh, situation also.
0: Well, so that's a real good point. Now, you can manipulate the data how you want. So the jobs numbers are they've been massaging those for a long time to make unemployment look lower than it really is. And I'm not just talking about this administration, I'm talking about for the last 20, they've constantly kind of recalibrated how they counted the numbers. So do I think they'll recalibrate uh, the economic data, the GDP numbers? And all? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But but things, no matter what you look at, things are slowing, there's no question about it. Uh, here's, the, here's the one thing I do know. The Fed has got it wrong consistently over and over and over. Okay, I mean, I've got a couple quotes here. Well, the one thing that Jerome Powell, I do agree on. We, we've argued said,
1: about that before. I don't, I don't agree with you, but go ahead.
0: No, 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 no. I know you don't. All right. Well, let me let me give you a couple of uh, uh, quotes here. Uh, he said that he said that inflation uh, was not going to get hot. It was not. It, it so was not- so
1: did so did Janet Yellen, and she's in the, she's in the oh, administration. Yeah, well, just, so who's I, getting it wrong? I blame the politicians. You blame the Fed. The Fed has to cover oh, the cost of the money the politicians are spending. Well, you can't you, you, you can't have one without the other. It's a chicken and an egg thing. The Fed, if they didn't, if we didn't have massive deficits right now, would we have to be printing all this money to cover them?
0: Well, absolutely. And if you did, but you also if you didn't have historically low rates, it would kind of handcuff Congress so that they wouldn't try to spend. Their argument is, look how low rates are, it's money's cheap, let's spend. That's that's the problem I have, but I, I get it. The whole point is there's two, there's two roads that the, the Fed can take. They can either continue tightening or they can ease off the brakes. If they continue tightening, they're gonna cause more unemployment. Remember when they say we need to curb demand, replace that with put people out of work, that means unemployment. Now he is, he is saying that, if rates go up to 4.1 percent, unemployment right now it's what 3.7, 3.8. He said if we, it, you know, if I raise rates a couple more times and it goes up to 4.1, but inflation gets down to the target 2 percent, that's a win. I think that is a good trade-off. He, so that is he set his target for empl- employment unemployment to rise by about four tenths of a percent okay and he thinks that's going to bring inflation down to two percent i i respectfully disagree i think it's going to you're going to have to raise rates higher and and have higher unemployment to get inflation down to two percent i think going from eight to two that's a, that's a long way that's a long that way. is a
1: big cut i i agree with you there i don't think we're anywhere close to that or going to see two percent for quite a while
0: and I will say, you're absolutely right. When you get too much debt, it, it actually crowds out the private sector, and it it's kind of slows long-term growth of the country. That's why these 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 decisions are, are so important for everybody. Um, it, it just it just it it it's going to be interesting. No matter what they do, I think they box themselves in the corner. And you're right. We're so polarized now that no matter what, he's damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. <clears throat> well, I so, I can see that
2: a lot of the, I mean, this is just price action alone, but like hog futures have come down, coffee futures have come down, uh, corn, soybean oil. I mean, if you look at corn, which is probably one of the most consumed foods in this country, it's in everything we eat. That's, um, I don't know if you could pull that up on Marketsmith, but it's gone from 824 on the futures down to 575. So that is indicative that things are definitely uh, cooling off on costs. The other thing is the U.S. dollar to the euro is almost at parity. It hasn't done that in years. So exports are definitely going to go down because the Europeans are not going to want to buy in U.S. goods because it's going to be more expensive for them. But at the same time, travel is going to be cheaper. So maybe people start to travel. Maybe airlines start stocks start to perk up or cruise lines start to perk up as COVID is not as much of a scare. So there's definitely fluctuations going on, but there is facts. A lot of the food commodities, and like what you were talking about, the cost of food has come down, oil's cooling off a little bit, that may be signaling early, because the market's usually what, six months discounted to the future, that what they're doing is working. And to what you were saying, maybe they should probably let it be, like laissez-faire, let it be, because if they keep doing that, it's gonna end up causing more damage. Kind of like taking your hottest pitcher in baseball, and you keep letting him throw. He's doing well, and then his arm just cooks, and he's not able to pitch the next game. So I think they should uh, they should definitely pay a little bit more attention to what we pay attention to, and it's price.
0: Well, here's here's kind of the paradox. So as they raise rates, that's actually strong for our dollar, like you said, Alex. So the dollar yeah. is getting stronger against all these other currencies, making it good for us to import and travel abroad and whatever. Makes it more expensive. Now, the good news with Europe is they still need our food. They may not buy other products, uh, but they got to eat. Um, um, with 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 the Fed, with the inflation. Um, um, with the stronger dollar as a dollar gets stronger, that makes Treasury bonds more attractive. So people will actually buy more Treasury bonds, and it'll it'll bid down the price. Mm-hmm. So they it's it, it there's kind of a, a little bit of a yin and yang, there, a little paradox, because they they want rates to rise more. And as they attract people back into Treasury bonds, that's going to put a little bit of downward pressure on the price and rates. So either way, it's going to be very interesting to see. And folks, if you just email me if you want this article. It's a great article, and they use that trolley car analogy that Don put the picture up on. But it's it's kind of a long article, so I didn't want to read it. Uh, but there's two choices, and what road are you going to travel? All right. Oh, Alex, by the way, you got a little bit of gray in that beard, brother. What is that, is that, is that, is that the bear market? I, what is that? My beard turns gray
2: during the bear markets. Um, <laughs> So I think it's just the compliments of uh, the two thousand. Oh, so if
1: we, if we rally, it's going to go full black. It's not going to be Grecian the formula. For that... The beard is not. The beard is just good. I'm going
2: to be clean shaven. Oh, I see. I see that.
1: Well, you can't spell beard without B-E-A-R. So there you yeah, have it. that's right.
2: <laughs>
0: it's
2: like a ground, groundhog seeing its shadow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's, let's, let's move on. Here's the next topic. And this is actually, I said this from day one with Charles Schwab first announced free trading and i said nothing is for free it's wrong because all they're going to do is start selling their order flow and so then you lose transparency so in exchange for you know tr- transaction costs kept coming down kept coming down and before they made free trades it was 495 or 395 something like that right for your trade but when they charge you a transaction fee they were kind of obligated to do their very best to get you best execution well in exchange for um being able to sell their order flow you kind of these new agreements they're actually not obligated to get you the best execution now they still now schwab is actually pretty good they still kind of do audits once a month make sure it's pretty close, but like Robin Hood has class action suit against it for basically raping their retail investors because their executions were terrible. So these people were ended up paying 20, 30, 40, 50 dollars a trade in implicit costs, costs that you can't see. They're invisible because they compare the execution price at that time versus what other people were getting at other brokerage houses at that same time, and their fills were terrible. But in any event, the Fed now is talking about its plans to end order flow payments because they're conflicts of interest. Now, this could have really long. Now, that's the ethical thing to do. I'm personally against selling the order flow. I think they should just charge you a small commission so that there's not free trade. So you have transparency. okay? because now you're still paying for it. Nothing is for free, but you don't have transparency. I'd rather know what I'm paying up front and be able to see it, but it's going to be really, really important um, whether they follow through this or not. Now, it's kind of funny because this Citadel attorney in 2004, his name is Jonathan Katz, wrote a letter to the SEC saying they should make it illegal for order flow selling order flow and he talks about all the conflicts and how it screws the, the retail investor and it gives a decisive advantage to huge players on Wall Street and quite frankly they're able to see the order flow and actually kind of front run these retail investors. So now in Germany, Citadel was the largest firm in paying in buying order flow. So they're in the game now they they've changed their mind. They decided if you can't beat them, join them. Now if the SEC, I personally don't think this is going to go anywhere. I'll go on the record and say, I don't think it's going to happen. Why? Because the lobbyists and the big brokerage firms and uh, the big market makers, they don't want it to happen. They like the, 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 the way it's set up now. And so they've got a lot of lobby money. And I think they're going to squash this. But if the SEC holds true and actually does the ethical thing, you could see some big, big dislocations in some of these big, huge firms. Robinhood, I mean, that could really, really hurt Robinhood. Um, anyway, that's that's just a that's an that's that's just something to watch. They're talking about it now and they're debating it. So it's a little bit further out on the horizon. But if this actually comes to fruition, it might tr- change the way you trade. Um, and, and that's the other thing they were talking about and i don't agree with this part they were saying that it because quote free trades the retail investor thinks everything's free and so they end up tending to over trade now we're an active advisor and we trade but we have rules it's rules based so we always have rules of what we're going to get in and what we're going to get out so it really doesn't affect us whether there was a a $3 commission or 495 commission, or whether it's free, because we're basing it off our rules period. But for the retail investor that's not cognizant of that, I can see how free trades would entice them to not trade as much. Remember, the SEC really, really likes that pie chart, buy and hold, set it and forget it. Uh, They think it's easier. and They think most people that get too active. Uh, hurt themselves. And that probably is true, because most people don't have rules. Anyway, that's just uh, another thing to watch. If you want that article too, I can send that to you. Uh, Zach is going to put all the the links up uh, on the show notes. So you can look at that. Um, um, So now really what I want to talk about is how we manage money and what we do. And I want to talk about Don's 13 cell rules. Don actually has a list not just of cell rules.
1: They're, they're not just cell rules. There's 13 rules,
0: 13 rules. Right. Okay. And so we'll, we'll go over probably the first four today because it's a, it's a, a lot of uh, information to digest. And then next week we'll go over the next four. So over the three week time period, we'll go over all of his 13 rules. So Don, why don't you, why don't you take it away?
1: Sure. I started uh, putting these together back before I joined Revere. Uh, I knew when I left IT, as I mentioned in my interview with Richard Moglen, that I wasn't going back to IT. I was somehow going to get into uh, managing money with a downside protection for people. And this was one of the marketing uh, documents that I put together. Uh, Found out that trying to run trying to be your own registered investment advisor you would spend more money on compliance and trying to find clients than you could ever managing portfolio so luckily I was (laughs) able to find uh Revere and and uh Danny and I um were able to attack the problem from both sides but rule one always rule one regardless of whether you're uh regardless of how you're investing, is to never lose big. And it's really just the power of compounding that you have to pay attention to. And this is really coming in fruition with uh, where we're now uh, at Revere and where we what we need to be to get back to even versus what has happened to the S&P 500. So we're, we're down less than 10%. Uh, but if you were down 10%, all you need is 11.1% to get back to even. But like the S&P 500, if you approached being down 25% for the year, you need a 33% uh, return. And if the, the bear market got really bad and you dropped 50% on the S&P, you've got to double to get back to even. The mar- the market just doesn't hand out these types of returns. Uh, yeah, there's a rubber band and it snaps back a little bit, but there's a big difference between cutting your loss at 10% and allowing your loss to go down to 50% uh, as these numbers play out. So That's rule number one, never lose big. It's also Warren Buffett's rule. People always like to say Warren Buffett doesn't time the market. That's just not true. He buys and sells. He sees companies coming in favor and out of favor. Granted, he holds for the long term, but if something starts going south against him, he pulls the plug. So don't confuse uh, Warren Buffett with somebody that will just sit through something for thick and thin, no matter how bad things get. He's evaluating the companies he holds every day that he holds them to make sure that his thesis uh, is still valid for for holding uh, what he holds. Any now, discussion now, on make, this? Let
0: me, yes. Let me make one point in addition to that, Warren Buffett takes control of the company, so he can control the management versus if you're just a share small shareholder and you own some stock in that company in your investment portfolio, you can't control the dividend payout, you can't control management. And so it's more important for you to have uh, uh, it is, I mean, you're right, he's active management, but he's actually actively managing the company itself and putting in good management. So there is a, a lot of not only timing, cause he's buying it as they're coming into favor from being out of favor. So he's buying at a discount, he's buying low and then trying to sell high. But if that thing turns around and doesn't work out, you're right, he'll sell it. But I just wanted to make, make the point that he has a lot of control of those companies he's buying. Whereas you as the individual investor, you don't.
1: Something else I wanna mention about Warren Buffett. The the prevailing uh, theory is oil, uh, fossil fuels are gonna go the way of the dodo bird because of the ascension of clean fuel, green energy. Uh, if that was truly going to happen, do you think Warren Buffett would be buying Chevron and, and Oxy with the billions of dollars that he has he sees something that that uh, conventional wisdom uh, isn't seeing. Uh, I'm not saying that the uh, internal combustion engine vehicles aren't gonna be be replaced by battery-operated vehicles at some point, but I think it's becoming clear a lot of countries that have completely thrown their hat into the green energy ring see that they can't replace the fossil fuels at this point yet with clean energy. The wind stops blowing and the the sun stops shining uh your energy flow is uh kind of kind of cut back so uh let's not let's not sound the death bell for fossil fuels quite yet ready to move on to rule number two let's do it always follow the trend now this is you can see how old this is i haven't updated uh the new look of the trend gauge on here but Uh, A lot of people, particularly pie chart managers, that I like to debate on Twitter all the time, uh, claim that you can't time the market, you have to know when to get out, you have to know when to get back in. And that's probably true for somebody that pays very little attention to the markets, uh, but you absolutely can follow the trend. They call it market timing, we call it trend following. And my, uh, I like to compare it to any any other aspect in your life that starts going south. Don't you take corrective action to address it. If the check engine soon light comes on in your car, uh, don't you take it in to get it looked at? If it's cloudy and the forecast is for rain, don't you take an umbrella with you? Why should your finances be treated any different? Uh, we manage money over three time frames. We uh, talk about that in every one of our videos. Know your time frame, identify the trend, and try not to trade against it. Don't overcomplicate things with too many indicators. And remember, you're not not gonna necessarily pick the top and the bottom. Only one trade gets the top and the bottom, and that probably won't be you. But uh, stick with the trend, try to catch the meat of the move, and um, don't diversify into things that uh, are terrible. And that's actually rule number three. My analogy for this is, Uh, you know you want to have a balanced diet but if you go to the market and all they have is rotten fruits and veggies are you going to buy them just because you need to have a balanced diet no you're not going to get them at that point and there's no reason to be diversified into bonds with the downtrend that they've been uh, on no diversification into bonds this year it's actually cost people more than if they uh, had if, than if they hadn't had cash in that portfolio, which is what we've done at Revere here. So uh, proper diversification is owning the strongest of trending investments over a variety of, of asset classes or sectors. And we mostly diversify by sector. You don't have to, um, you can, in the 21 over 21, we always have at least 10 different sectors. So you can get your diversification that way. You don't have to buy uh, all, software stocks are all uh commodity stocks or all uh semiconductor stocks if that's what the hot thing is there's always leaders in uh different asset uh different sectors and um that's how you spread your bets around is by sectors not necessarily by buying emerging markets that are in a downtrend or bonds that are in a downtrend so uh poor diversification is um don't own poorly performing assets just for the sake of non-correlation.
0: Could I add And one sounded point like you wanted to chime in there. Yeah, yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. So so you've nailed it on the head. So folks, when you when the market's going up, when the primary trend, the trend following like Don was talking about, is going up, you want just enough diversification so that one position, one stock, one investment doesn't kill you if they're cooking the books or they're doing something wrong that you just didn't know about. Right. However, so you want enough diversification in 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 asset classes that are all performing well. And like Don said, you don't want any things that aren't performing well and in a downtrend. However, when we start entering a bear market or we start going down across the board, you don't want diversification at all. You want cash or maybe cash and treasury bonds or maybe cash and and treasury bonds and a little bit of gold. There, there are only going to be a couple asset classes that are performing well. You're not going to. So, so like during the economic crisis, the S&P was down 42%. The NASDAQ was down around 50 and the small caps were down 60. International was down 70. Take your pick. What do you want? In fact, corporate bonds and high yield bonds acted like stocks, tech stocks, and corporate bonds were down. The only sector in 2008 was treasury bonds, and, and gold, they actually were positively correlated. That's because it was a fear trade. But those are the only sectors that, that were even in the green that year or even flat. So you'd wanna have a lot of cash and maybe some treasury bonds in 2008. You wouldn't want any of that diversification. So you want diverse, enough diversification on the way up and not diversification on the way down, you wanna cover up. Go ahead, Don.
1: All right, last rule here is always keep your watch lists ready. And uh, we help we help you out by uh, updating our 21 over 21 uh, every audit in our videos. But when we're in a bear market right now, we're trying to come out of it. We went into a short-term uptrend as we got back above uh, our key short-term moving average, as Hunter talked about in Thursday night's video, and I'll follow up in tonight's video. But always keep your watch watch lists ready, identifying leading sectors and the leading industry groups within those sectors and have a ready list of potential leading stocks uh, to get into as the market transitions from bear to at least neutral to uh, hopefully bull. And the way we track it every night in our video is by the trend gauge across three timelines and also by how uh, leading stocks are doing. And leading stocks have certainly been acting well over the last week. So those are the four rules. Uh, there's 13 in all, and we'll, uh, over the next two podcasts, we'll talk about uh, the rest of them.
0: All right, well, so let's start, let's just get right into the markets right now. What's happening currently, how we're doing things, what we've done, I'll just kind of let you, uh, well, you want to start with Alex first? Why don't we start with Alex? Alex, what are you seeing? Um, <clears throat> I've seen
2: a lot of strength in uh, biotechs, on the 10th on uh xbi i saw a large volume day and definitely a character change. change excuse me in a lot of the uh, biotech stocks so i decided to shoot some options trades and i bought the august 75s i think it was on the 30th and i bought them for i think 520 and my plan going into it, I have sell rules and stuff I've gone over in the past with you guys. And I also have uh, profit taking rules. And luckily this time was profit taking um, work. So on the 10th, I got in those August 75, so 520. Uh, once they hit 50% profit on the coming days, it took a quarter down at 75% took another quarter down. And I actually sold all of them yesterday uh, for 110% gain. So, and that was only on a 10% or so move in the ETF. So if you can time and 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 find an ETF or a very liquid um, ETF or stock like Apple on the right setup, you don't need much on the actual underlying of the stock to move for the option to double. So a 10% stock move yielded 100% gain in options. So that's the kind of trading I've been doing that's been working for me. It's a little bit easier to be an, I think, right now, to be an options trader because there's volatility. Volatility yields major moves and really good results for options traders. It's very advanced. I don't recommend it for everyone. But if you have a good set of rules and don't use a lot of your portfolio, you can take losses and not get damage your portfolio. But when you're right, you can be right big. Um, the other thing that spotted, I want I to give you a reason why I bought XBI. The 21-day... I think it's that green line on Don's chart was crossing up through that 50 day So that was like right around the day I bought, that's what caught my eye. Also the volume pattern on the bottom, all, look at those blue bars, all the blue bars are higher than the red bars. There's an accumulation going on in this sector that you, you can't deny that. And is the that's not really telling me the market's going to capitulate right now, today. Why would the most speculative, speculative sector in the entire market, in my opinion, has got to be biotech? A lot of these companies have no earnings, no sales. Why is that going up? So fund managers are dumping money, or at least hedge funds are getting into these names. Um, that RS rating, thats the, I think that's the year, is that the three month down or no?
1: No, the, the RS rating is a 33 for the year. That's not the three month rating. The three month rating yeah. on this is, say it's like uh, a 90 a 94. yeah I wish this was configurable so, so we could put the three month rating on there uh yeah.
2: and that's something that
1: notice, i from don so so go ahead notice it was subtle but all the way back here this line is the is what the s p 500 is doing so here is 511 uh making a new low you can see the biotech index making a new low also now notice the S&P made a newer low. The biotech index, not only on price, didn't make a newer low, but relative strength is really ticking up here. So this went all the way back to mid-May when it looked like people were starting to accumulate uh, biotechs. Now, look at price action going sideways while the S&P 500 continues to move down. Here you see another significant low made by biotech, or sorry, by the S&P 500 on 6.16, Price did not make a lower low on uh, XBI and relative strength was well above the prior low. So these are subtle signs of accumulation coming in here. Then you see relative strength kick in when the market starts to make its first move up off the low in sync with it. But look at the, look at how the relative strength on biotech and the price is so far above the equivalent of the S&P 500. Uh, from 624 going through today. That's just relative strength, that sector's acting well. Uh, biotech medical stocks continuing to get flows in there. Uh, that that cross that Alex mentioned here uh, was telegraphed by this relative strength uh, line showing uh, prior to uh, the the market, the overall market itself coming off the bottom.
2: There's another sector uh, that could potentially set this up. I'm not, I, I'm not buying the options on this yet. If you pull up XHB, there's a major downtrend line that coincides with the, uh, the 50-day moving average. Um, you notice that 21-day is still under the 50. If that crosses up above the 50 and the market's still intact, meaning we're still in the trend that Don was talking about, I will be looking at call options. So it's it at 70, let's say, today. If that 21 crosses through the 50, and we break that trend line, that downtrend line, they see that red line, and it breaks up, let's say, probably that 60 area, I will be looking at calls, because that this is something that's caught my eye um, in recent weeks. Everyone's getting negative, and bear oh, the real estate, this is that home builders. well. Toll Brothers and DHI have run 15% in the last, like, week. So. I don't know I'm going with the price action this looks good to me I'm, I'm not looking at the let's say yes there's overhead I get that but it's been six months of overhead like and sooner or later that that price on the left is negated by time that's another thing that Don has taught me um I think you I think your example was on zoom right Don with the, the time yeah and overhead yeah that, so I think that if this gets above that 60 area and breaks that downtrend line this could be a nice setup.
1: Um, I I like XHB a lot. I like XHB a lot. I like ITB a little bit better. And on both of them, again, notice the relative strength going higher while price was going sideways while the S&P continued to sell off. This is just saying, okay, we're done with selling these. Then there was a last gasp when the market panicked, this last leg down. relative weakness also but now coming back and relative strength is is even with this peak here even though price is still below that so on a relative basis itb and xhb are are outperforming the year relative strength is a 47 on xhb it's a 69 on uh, the three-month itb the year-long relative strength is a 58 uh, but it's uh 84 on three months so 84 saying absolutely over the last three months home builders the the ITB is outperforming 84 percent of other instruments in the market and this is what we look for all the time big relative strength up while price is going sideways big relative strength after this last puke here Uh, and you can see Volume was heavy on the sell-off. This is get, This is just getting rid of all of the last people that were holding on to it and then volume higher when it starts to come off the bottom. And now it's into this downtrending 50-day moving average, coming up with um, uh, some resistance here. You can see an alert set here that actually fired yesterday, I believe. Uh, so ITB and XHB both absolutely showing relative strength versus the market.
0: And, you know, on that, look at that. So Alex had talked about, you know, the markets being a six-month leading indicator, right? Well, you wouldn't, if you just tried to put your logical hat on, you'll say, well, the Fed's about to raise rates in a couple of weeks, you know, whether it's a quarter point, three-quarters point, like most people, the consensus is, or whether it's a half, but they're going to raise, right? So you would say, God, that's going to hurt home builders, which I agree, but so the home builders got to be selling off. No, 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 no that's already happened that's such in- a great
1: that's such a great point Dan Th- this was front run look at the relative weakness yeah. on these for the first 4 months of the year in anticipation of what the fed would do then the fed actually did it and these have been showing relative strength since then it goes completely all the headlines you read about how how are about how mortgages are the demand is cut up and has has dropped and you know the the number of homes being started is weak but this is looking six months down the road. This isn't looking at what the headline is right now. The market is the best uh, leading forecaster uh, versus any headline that you can read. That's why I, the only time I turn on CNBC is to see what uh, at two o'clock uh, and, seven times a year to see what the Fed did. That, that's it. I turn and, Don, it on and
2: Don too. I, I don't think Toll Brothers is going to mind lumber being at from lumber coming. So, down. Yeah, their costs. Yeah covers
1: down significantly. Yeah. tolls and toll sales uh, higher end, higher end, which is not as uh, impacted as people who are just scraping their budget together to try to afford the most house.
0: So I'll go you one better about the news, the news being a distraction. First of all, they're marketing and they're trying to sell you stuff. So it's got to be complete exuberation or despair. There is no even keel because I got to get you emotionally engaged. But more importantly, a lot of times the news is written to figure, to explain what just happened. It's a, it's a lagging, it's, it doesn't work. So all of a sudden, home prices, or the stock prices, that they, they drop for the first four months. So all of a sudden these uh, CNBC and all these places start scrambling to start writing articles on the dire outlook and what bad is happening. And so they actually, some of the stories are actually scripted to explain something that just happened. Well, by that time, it's too late. So that's why we always say first price then news we do say that <laughs> <laughs> so what's the what's, Alex, the, any, what's what anything we, else uh, Alex? no i mean uh
2: th- there's relative strength in the chinese names but i'm not going to mess around with that I, I, if you guys remember a few years ago Luckin coffee was like the hot stock and that they ended up telling or Coming out with uh, accounting fraud, so these companies like DQ, these solar stocks, and LI—I just can't trust it. I listen; it can go up a thousand percent. That's fine. I've made my money on American stocks, and I will continue to make money on American stocks. I don't need China to, to build my wealth. So
0: well, that's right. That's a very good. Yeah, there, that's a good point. There's, there's plenty. Like Tim always says, you can't touch all the water. So stick with yeah. what you know and, and what you trust and then uh One one disclaimer I'd like to say, so Don Alex was talking a lot about options. He's an options trader. He's very good at it. He's had a lot of practice. How did he get a lot of practice? He's lost a lot of money over the years, but then he learned mm-hmm. how to do it And through the price of college, uh, you know, hard knocks, he actually learned how to do it and do it effectively. But a couple things that he said that I want to make sure it didn't go over the the listeners ears. Number one, his position sizes are small relative to the portfolio. So with stocks, you may take a five or 6% position in any one stock that's getting to the full stock size, you don't want to go bigger than that. With an option, it may only be a couple percent, especially when you're first learning. Now, Alex may be taking larger positions now because he's gotten used to it. But what people do is they'll take, uh, they'll, they'll take a 10% or 8 or 20% of their whole account, and it just blows up their portfolio because options move so fast. That if it goes against you, if you're buying options, you can lose 100% of your premium. So if you yeah. take 10% of your portfolio or 20%, you could lose that much in your whole portfolio. That's why you only want to take a couple percent because that's the most you can lose. You've got a lot if of upside. That,
2: I mean, and a big account, someone's, let's say someone's got 500 grand. I don't know, like 1%, 2%, a $10,000, $20,000 options position, that's going to, you're going to sting. Like it's it, as the account grows, your sizing is going to, as I've gotten, larger i i've my sizing has actually decreased um because of the risk management has gotten better and better but when you're first starting let's say you have a couple thousand like i did years ago i mean you're going to be a cowboy you're going to go just don't do it because you'll blow up i I blew up many times when i was in my early
0: 20s exactly exactly so you always manage risk position size and defined rules
1: yeah, go ahead. I do want to point out with uh, with Chinese stocks, if you want to somewhat limit your risk, uh, go with go with one of the broader ETFs. There's four that I track on a daily basis. A share. These are only Chinese listed stocks. They don't trade on other indexes, so it's based on that. Note the big blue bars here of accumulation in uh, ASHR, and what's different between. Uh, what the Chinese central bank is doing and what the rest of the central banks across the world are doing is they're actually easing right now as they Ooh. try to come out of their latest covid lockdown now um you, I, I think you probably know what I think about uh it a, a communist government and uh <laughs> how they treat their people but uh if you're strictly looking to make money um, we we shy away from the individual tickers for one of the reasons that Alex said, but the four that I'm going to go through here: uh, <coughs> A Share, uh, K Web is the larger internet slash tech companies that are listed uh, in the in the uh, it's the Chinese overseas internet index. Also, relative strength showing here. That
0: uh, Zach, the can you go is- to the charts? Hang on, Zach, can you go to the? There you
1: go. Okay. Uh, did I don't know if A Share showed. <coughs> I'll show that first so here's a share note the relative strength and the big blue bars uh, kweb uh, also showing relative strength still below its declining 200-day moving average uh, fxi uh, this is the FTSE china 50 index again relative strength showing here and chiq this is a chinese uh, consumer index uh, again, showing relative strength coming up against the 50-day, and you see where I've got uh, got to reinstate my alert that I had set there for that. So uh, those are four ETFs in China that um, if you, if you want to eliminate the risk of single stock, uh, that's one to look at. Probably my favorite one right now is Li Auto LI, just really uh, uh, just an absolute leader. You can see the volume. Uh, there and the relative strength also and PDD is another one Uh, this is came off the bottom and is forming a base right here above the 200 day moving average and an oldie but uh trying to be a goodie again is Baidu again look at the relative strength basing big double bottom pattern here uh putting in the last part of the double bottom above its 200 day moving average so you can see all the moving averages are starting to get configured the way we prefer them to be, which is just a, a sign of um, a, a stock or an instrument or whatever uh, ending out of a downtrend and trying to form the right side of a base uh, coming out of the downtrend, going at least to neutral before it can go into an uptrend. But uh, those are some Chinese tickers uh, to take a look at. You know what, I forgot to that that's of
0: you to- well that baidu real quick that baidu chart is that is that a cup and handle forming on the far right there is that the right side uh, of the handle. well
1: you could yeah you could argue that you always want to look at the biggest pattern that you can this is a cup and handle forming as part of the second uh the down leg of the double bottom but when you've got a longer time frame and forming a base it's actually preferred because longer bases tend to yield better results than shorter bases. So yeah, we are putting in a little bit of a handle here, but it's a, it's as part of the bigger overall double bottom.
0: Okay, so I was talking about like a June, just that little s- small. Part. Yeah, it's no, I,
1: high agree high. With, I agree with you. Yeah. There's the cut. Yeah, yeah.
0: But but you're saying the longer term is more, even more important. Okay, well, it's good yes. clarification. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And by the way, uh, speaking of China, well, they're, they're actually trying to raise, the Chinese government is trying to get, it's providences and see they borrow money at the providence level more so than the national like the federal level like we do uh but they're trying to get their 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 providences and all the government as a whole they're trying to borrow and stimulate by issuing 400 billion in bonds they want to spend 400 billion to stimulate their economy because their growth rate has slowed quite a bit for the reasons don mentioned so dan i have one more
2: name um that I wanted to share, and uh, I think it could be useful—a little, little longer-term technique. If you could pull up uh, Chewy, C H W Y, and pull up a weekly
1: chart, he um, is in the 21-21 list. Alex, Alex brought this it to is. our attention a couple of weeks ago.
2: Yeah, so this there's a there's an old trader. He's still around. Stan Weinstein um, had a method of after a stock has run and come back completely down and capitulate. It, it, it usually bottoms out and there's an average you need to use. It's the 30-week moving average. Well, last week I noticed that this started to flatten out and then the price actually came right through it. And
1: that's this, this purple line I, here is the 30-week.
2: Yeah. So I, I, um, I bought this in my personal and it's been my number one stock, not option, stock performer since we've had this little rally that we've the volume's there. It's got, it's very liquid. I don't know. Like we use Chewy here. Look for my dog. I think everyone that has a pet uses Chewy. Maybe this is. Um, we'll see how it. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let's go by price. That 200-day moving average. It'll be. We'll see what it does there because that'll be a big test there. I think it's at uh, 50 or 48. That 200-day. So we'll see how it acts around that level. But right now, that's been just buying and buying and buying the last few weeks it just has been pouring up. They had a massive
1: they had a massive catalyst the... on June June 2nd. 653% above average volume. It was up 24% on earnings. Now it used oh, to be a growth. Rate. Yep, darling. Yeah. Here it's at 97 over here last August all the way down to 22 huge loss, but then they had a catalyst. This is the N in CanSlim that we talk about. Uh, all the time. And let's go to a 60 minute chart there. And you can see on June 2nd, here's the big gap up on on earnings. It just digests it nicely. And then it has another gap up here uh, on the 21st. It just continues to go higher along with, and you love to see this, insider buying after their latest earnings report.
2: Uh, I didn't even notice that, Don. Thank you for pointing that out. You
1: know, What's the short term we'll relative
0: strength on that?
1: short-term relative strength on this is a 98 doesn't get better than that well it does if it was a 99 so
2: (laughs) i was gonna say 99
1: (laughs) but look at look at how it paused here at this 40 level which was a big resistance area over here coming down ran into 40 paused pulled back nicely to the eight took another shot at it paused now the last two days uh really has shown fantastic price action i would expect Uh, a little bit of resistance here as it comes into the 200 that's an expectation doesn't mean it has to happen we blow right through it then that means that chewy is even stronger than uh than in my opinion of it is right now it's also coming into uh some resistance over here between 50 and 54 and naturally the 50 area is like the half livermore uh area stocks very often show resistance there so uh, from the 48, you know, 40 to 50 will be uh, a big resistance area there.
2: You know what's interesting too? If you look at this, if you start from April to now, that is a textbook. The small action of the bars, the, the nice cup, if it puts in a handle and digests above 40, I will add. As long as the market, the M and cancel stays intact and we continue to trend, I'm sticking. This, this could be given hints that, Maybe we're turning, if growth stocks like this are starting to pound higher, then uh, like we've been talking about, it's discounting the future. Maybe things are just start turning around. We'll see, we could have another leg down. I don't know, I'm not a predictor. I'm just following the, what's working. If you're making money, then keep going with it. If you start to you know buy things and they don't work, then cool your jets and, and just wait. But right now things are working.
1: All righty, back to the S&P 500. Um, Dan, you want me to uh, talk through what we've done in-house yes, here? Yes, absolutely, week? absolutely. So we came into the week flat, basically. We only owned a GLD in our short-term uh, inflation-protected bond, that's VTIP. The S&P 500 was uh, not acting well. We had a follow-through day here on 624 when we started getting some money into the market. Uh, we had a second close above the twenty one to actually write on the twenty one on the twenty seventh. We didn't add anything there. And then we tried to break above it the morning of the twenty eighth and had a very harsh reversal. and this basically undid, and we quickly went alongside to the short side because we if we're below all of the moving averages, that's our third time frame. Our shortest time frame is the twenty one day exponential moving average. If we break back below that. We're gonna take everything off the table. Uh, we had small gains in a short that we had. We came down here to this 3800 uh, area. We recut it. We, we undercut it a couple times, but couldn't go any lower. We got off the short side and got back to neutral, and then we started adding uh, QLD on Wednesday of this week when the Nasdaq 100 got back below. Uh, back, got back above its 2. It's a uh, 21-day moving average. Uh, It followed through yesterday and we added more exposure, this time using SPLG, which is P500, because what happened? The S&P 500 got back above its 21-day moving average, along with some big resistance uh, at the 3850-ish level. We also added the IWO. This is one of the G6 indicators that we use to gauge strength in growth stocks it got above its 21 and its 50 day moving average yesterday and we started a position in this. So uh, we added a little bit to SPLG this morning. So in the course of uh, three days, we went from flat to being about 40% allocated to the market just by buying some broad ETFs. Haven't bought any individual stocks lately because we wanna see when a pullback is tested on this 21 day on the S&P 500, what happened? And we did see that this morning. We had bad news pre-market with uh, was actually contrarian. The strong jobs report, the initial reaction was rates up, stocks down, stocks pulled back, held yesterday's lows, and then started trending higher after the first 30 minutes. This is exactly what bulls wanna see. uh, And we certainly wanna see today's lows right around this 21 day uh, exponential moving average, which is around 3870-ish on the S&P 500. Uh, any pullback to that area needs to hold or this uh, attempted rally is, uh, we're gonna call, call it quits and we'll uh, take small profits or small losses. And uh, so those are the big three that we're allocated in right now, SPLG, IWO and QLD. Uh, about 40%, uh, equivalent of 40% uh, Revere Volatility Adjusted Beta. is uh, that That's the way to count your exposure. Their cash doesn't mean as much, but in this case, uh, it's about even with what our cash level is, which is 60%. And we're looking to add more at low risk entry points, either in ETFs or individual stocks or the indexes, if we continue to show strength here above the 21.
0: Let me, let and me, the 21 me, over
1: tw- the 20. Sorry, the last thing before Dan, we go okay. back to you, Dan, the 21 over okay. 21 list uh, is basically intact from last week. And that also shows uh, the strength of leading stocks. And if you watched Hunter's video last night, you saw we upgraded uh, the um, short term. We upgraded leaders in the short term uh, time frame uh, off of bearish to neutral and or bullish. If we get a second turn uh, close above the 21, we'll go to bullish in tonight's video.
0: All right, I want to put on my Don interpreter, and it f- for so the stock nerds, the people that are really into it, they they get it perfectly. What Don just said for the more passive kind of retail investor, we manage money for, I just want to explain that. Go back to that chart, Don, that S and P chart. So so we were we were completely defensive and in cash, which is why we didn't go t- down twenty percent like the S and P, and we're down single digit. But on this turn, this last turn where the market started rallying, these last four you know, a few days. What Don's saying is that, you know, until further notice, this is considered a bear market rally. And some of the, st- the strongest rallies actually occur in bear markets. So we're not on, out of the clear yet. and We haven't established, uh, quote, a primary uptrend again. And, uh, so, so instead of trying to do individual names and do it, because you can only take a four or 5% position or even three and a half, depending on the beta of the stock, because you've got to adjust your stock size to how volatile the individual stock is so that you kind of make all your stock positions in the portfolio equivalent to one another, the same risk parameter. But in this way, so when you're 100% cash, the way to, so you use ETFs as a tool, so that boom, we can take QLD, which is a double NASDAQ long, you can take a 5% position, which is really 10% NASDAQ, boom, then 10% S, than 5% or 7% uh, Ross. so very quickly, you can get the exposure up to 40% by using ETFs. So they're actually a good trading tool if you're uncertain whether it's going to be a little longer, it's going to work out longer, number one. Number two, the reason he said that cash, the amount of cash is not necessarily equal to the beta, the volatility, of the portfolio, you know, compared to the index is because individual stocks can be much higher or lower, but normally higher beta than the individual than the indices. Well, because we were using broad indexed ETFs, the beta of the portfolio is roughly 100 minus our cash position this time. Normally, that's not the case. But that's so because we're 40% invested, we got about a 0.4 beta relative to the market. So I just wanted to explain that to the people that may not have have followed that. Did I, did I explain that pretty well, Don?
1: Yeah, you did, Dan.
0: Okay. All right, so Don's video tonight, the 21 over 21, you got to watch it. He's got all the best leading stocks on there. Folks, do you guys have any more you want to comment before I close out?
1: No, I think we're good.
0: I think we're good, yeah. Thanks for right. having me on, guys. All right. Thanks for joining yeah, thank us, Alex. Alex. Yeah, Alex was a guest. Uh, and we have him on occasionally. He is very, very good. He's a actually. Uh, supports his family. He's a professional trader. I mean, he's he knows what he's doing. Folks, listen, if you like what you heard, please tell a friend, tell a neighbor, send them to revereasset.com. They can go up into the right-hand corner and hit the subscribe button. They'll get this podcast delivered right in their inbox normally on Saturday morning. Sometimes we record a little early. It might go out on a Thursday night or Friday, but normally it's Saturday morning. And then also our daily market insights, short market video. Every evening the market is open. We put just a little video out of what we're doing, what we're looking at because we are as transparent as you can get. You will not find another advisor that is more transparent than Revere.
1: Are any extraordinary events.